blast from our past network. Talking Back. Double feature. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Talking Back the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim, and with me, as usual, is co-host Dean. That's me. And this is a double feature episode. These are quickly becoming our funnest of episodes. (laughs) And most of it is because we get to have guys like this gentleman sitting across from us right now, Corey Stevenson. Corey, welcome, dude. What's up, guys? If you don't know Corey, then what's wrong with you, first of all? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Corey's been on our our show a few times, and we've been on his. He is the co-host of Podcasting After Dark. Corey also, uh, Dean's wearing the Podcasting After Dark shirt right now. He's (laughs) he's pulling it up there. Love it. Thanks, buddy. (laughs) Great show. Corey is also co-host on Cartwright Seinfeld podcast so if you like seinfeld check that out even if you don't i always say like hey if you like seinfeld or if you like um old obscure 80s movies or, or whatever check these guys podcasts out it just then i always like to throw in if you like having fun check them out as well it's like <laughs> you, even if you don't know it anything it covers about all it. the the bases you know <laughs> exactly yeah if you enjoy having a good time then just check check out Corey's podcast they're a lot of fun but listen we thought you might like to to join in on this one, Corey, because uh, we've talked we've talked online before um, about aliens, and Aliens is your favorite movie, your number yes. one. You have strong yep. feelings about that, and I know your feelings about what happened to your favorite characters mm. once we get into Alien Three. Mm-hmm. So we thought it might be fun to have you on for this, where we're gonna um, just review the 2018 graphic novel that was based upon William Gibson's original Alien 3 script. Yes. Yes. So. Oh, man. I, I really appreciate you guys bringing me on for this. Uh, when you said you were going to do the Alien franchise, you know, in the back of my head, I was like, man, I, I just want to talk to those guys about every single movie. Because first of all, if, if you also listen to Podcasting After Dark or Cartwright, you will know how much I love talking back and how much I love Tim and Dean here. And, uh, you know, I shout it from the rooftops as anytime possible. It's such a great show. And I love what you guys did with the Predator franchise. I'm loving what you guys are currently doing with the Star Trek franchise. I'm liking that you guys are doing these, like you go movie by movie and you're kind of going through the franchises like sort of, you know, I know you mix it up and everything, but I like how you're going through it sort of in order. And being able to jump on and talk about this Alien 3 comic was just, it's a huge honor, man. Seriously, both of you guys, I really appreciate it. And I am super, super stoked to talk about it. Oh, me too, man. I can't wait. Cool. Yeah, I think I think as soon as we decided to do this Alien franchise, I don't know in what capacity that you were going to be involved, but I think Dean and I both <laughs> immediately knew that you would be involved in some way. So yeah, like, how do we how <laughs> and, do we work the schedule to get him in here? We got to figure it out here. Yeah, and we had been chatting online about this comic. Um, yeah, you know, long before we decided to do the Alien franchise. So yeah. this is yeah. just something that uh, we we were all kind of into, and it's just it's a really cool thing. 
That's a, like, this doesn't happen gotta, all that often, right? No, and it's, and it's, I love the fact that Dark Horse does this. I read their, their adaptation of, of The Star Wars, which is the original George Lucas, uh, script. And that was a lot of fun to read, although we definitely got the better version of that story, <laughs> uh, with A New Hope and everything. But, um, I, we, I haven't read it yet. I'm not sure if you guys have, but I know that they are also currently or just wrapped up adapting the original Predator script. Mm-hmm. And they, and the artwork even, like has the original bug predator in it you know the the john claude van damme version that they were going to use um so i'm loving that these comic book companies are doing it i think uh avatar press also put out frank miller's robocop 2 uh original script in comic book form and all of these you know for various degrees you know some are better some are worse but it's really freaking cool that we get even that they're even doing this, and we get to see these original scripts. We don't just have to read them in script form like we used to. Now we can actually see them in comic book form. It's the next best thing for them, like making it into an actual movie. So this is cool. And when I heard that they were doing this years ago, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait for it because we'd all heard about this fabled script for so long. Yeah. This this script had been talked about for so long, and I'd never read it until I read it in this form. And like adapting these scripts into comic books is a win-win because we want to read them as fans. We want to, but like, I don't want to sit down and read a script. I mean, I've done it, but I don't really want to do it. I'd rather read a comic book. I'd rather read that. The story is a comic book, but it's also a win for them. They don't, they don't have to come up with a story and the story can suck and we still will buy it and want to read it because we're interested in it. You know, they just, it's, I think it's a win-win both ways. Yeah, and and they they some of them do kind of suck because yeah. they are kind of first drafts, you know. And yeah. I'm not saying that that's the case for this, but with the the Star Wars one, the art was beautiful. It was really neat to see where some concepts were and all this kind of stuff, and like what he sort of kept and what he didn't keep. But overall, that story was trash. <laughs> <laughs> you can't win them all, right? You can't no, win you can't them win them all. All, <laughs> all right, so. As mentioned, this was written by William Gibson, and the art was done by Johnny Christmas, and colors were done by Tamara Bondvillain. Bondvillain? Bond, a Bondvillain? Bondvillain, yeah. but Which Bondvillain. One? I'm probably saying that wrong. It's probably like Bonvillain uh, or something like that. Something. Yeah. It's probably, it's, it's European or French or something, I'm sure. I'm just surprised no one called out Johnny Christmas. Yeah. yeah, that's another one. <laughs> that can't that can't be his real name. <laughs> great name, Johnny that's a, Christmas. That's an awesome name. Yeah, great artist. I love Johnny Christmas. Yeah, yeah. yeah I actually yeah. really like the art in this. The art's fantastic. Yeah, cool. All right. So in 1967, Gibson decides to move from the U.S. to Canada in order to avoid the Vietnam War draft. At his draft hearing, he honestly informed interviewers that his intention in life was to sample every mind-altering substance in existence. Cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Stand up, dude. He was never drafted. <laughs> and in, uh, in 1987, Gibson writes a script for Alien 3, which the producers describe as a perfectly executed script that wasn't all that interesting. Hmm. Now, at the time, <laughs> at the time, Gibson is a major influencer in the cyberpunk genre, having written the short story Johnny Mnemonic, which the movie was later based on. Huh. 
Oh, I've seen that movie. I didn't know that was based on. I, you know, what's funny? I just assumed that was based on a Philip K. Dick story because every sci-fi movie yeah. is right, Dean. Totally, every one of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, he wrote the short story for that, and he oh, cool. uh, wrote the acclaimed novel Neuromancer, uh, yes. which oh, okay. was highly uh, influential. Um, Have either of you tried to read that? No, no, it no. Is <laughs> a tough read. <laughs> I don't think I could do cyberpunk. Oh man, it is it is hard to understand what is going on in that book. I did not last very long. <laughs> yeah, no. I, he is I a smarter read. he is a smarter man than I. Well, well yeah. No, he's a smart dude. Yeah. He he fir- he was the first to use the term matrix to refer mm-hmm. to the visualized internet. Oh, cool. And he also coined the term cyberspace. Oh. So he was very much ahead of his time when it came to like the internet and the world wide web and stuff like that. He was kind of foreseeing these things before they happened. Um, and he was also an influencer of steampunk. So very specific type of writer. Yeah. In- interesting choice for alien three. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mentioned it, uh, briefly on the, uh, alien three podcast that I, I like it on paper. Like I like that matchup him, you know, with mm-hmm. the alien property. I think something interesting could come out of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's it's on paper. It seems like it would have been the match made in heaven. Yes. Yeah. Just before we get into it here, I just want to know: Did you guys like this story, this this script, this graphic novel? Uh, Corey, I'll start with you. I have read this three times now, and in the from the bottom of my heart, in my heart of hearts, I truly have no idea how I feel about this. It's. It's boring on one hand. It's <laughs> a great answer, but but it, it but it's interesting on uh, and another. Uh, he's dealing with some interesting concepts, and we'll obviously get into them. But uh, there's some cool stuff here, but there's also some boring stuff here, and I really don't know how this would have translated to the screen. And I don't know if I like it any better than what we saw, any worse. It's just it's it's very interesting, and honestly. The thing I'm most excited about this, having this conversation, is unpacking my feelings about this and getting to the yeah. bottom of it with you guys. Diener? Yeah. Um, very similar thoughts, actually. I There's things I hate about it. Um, mm. There's things that I think are kind of cool. I think there's some cool ideas in there. Um, it's I don't know what's going on most of the time. I know what's going... Like, I... I again read it through like try preparing for the podcast trying to figure out exactly what's going on and there are just some panels that just cut right into the middle of something like i and i don't really know what was happening before or how we even got here it's just very confusing i like it as a what if in the alien world i like that it was a a script that you know wasn't produced and that i get to read it as a comic book it is clearly a script that needed more revisions, in my opinion. Um, and I just, I don't even know if I like it as just a comic book. Like, I would never hand this to anybody and just be like, hey, you got to yeah. check this out. But I enjoy that I read it. And I enjoy that I now know these sort of, you know, what if ideas. And there's some cool things going on in the comic that uh, that I do enjoy. So I'm kind of with Corey. It's like, it's really hard to say if I liked it or not, because it's yes and no. 
And, and mm. you honestly, you you summed it up much more eloquently than me. So I'm gonna just say everything Dean said. <laughs> I kind of feel the exact same. And you, like I said, you said it better than me, buddy. <laughs> so it's just yeah. And as comic book form, I wouldn't hand this to somebody. Yeah. But as someone, all three of us who love this franchise, this is such. I'm so like in. I have so much joy inside of me that I can read this. Yeah. That I can you know, experience this in comic book form and that this this story that I've heard about, this, like I said earlier, this fabled, you know, first draft of, of Alien 3 I'd heard about for so long because then it got to the point where it was so epic that everyone's like, oh, it was so much better than what we got. I know. Oh, I wish they made that movie. That would have been, that's what all the nerds were saying back at, you know, and I'm like, okay, and now that I've read it, I'm like, well. <laughs> totally. Well, I don't know about that. Exactly, yeah. But I'm excited that we got to read it. As yeah. Alien fans, I'm excited that we have it. Yeah. I mean, no surprise. I'm with you guys as well. The first time I read it, I didn't like it. Yeah. Um, it's it's very confusing. Um, just when you feel like you understand what's going on, you realize you really don't understand what's going yeah. on. They're cutting too quickly to things and not explaining them. I've read this two times and then a third time I just walked through the pages trying to understand what I read. I, I do think the more you read this, the better it becomes because you can understand everything. There are some very, very cool ideas in this book. And yeah, I think overall the second read, I liked it a lot more than the first time. So yeah, I, I mean, you, I agree with Tim. It does actually get more understandable as as you more times you read it. But I, I'm the well, same with you guys. The first time I read it, I was like, "What the hell is going on? Yeah. Who are these people? What are their motivations?" And yeah, things just seem to sort of happen. And yeah, multiple reads. I'm like, okay, I can start piecing it together. But it's still not like a smooth story from beginning to end. There are a ton of characters. And that's that's sort of one of the issues with having to read it multiple times. There's just so many characters on different uh, areas in space. So it's hard to I, for me, it's hard when we just cut and don't really explain where we are, what exactly is going on and who we're talking about and what they just did. It's hard for me to even pull up in my mind. What was the last thing this character did? Uh, yeah. The characters of Ripley, Hicks, Newt and the remains of Bishop are part of this story. We get a team of Wayland yutani characters and then a different team of characters called the Union of Progressives People, or the UPP for short. The location basically takes place on two space stations. You have one of them belonging to Wayland, the other belonging to the UPP. Um, the Sulaco is on its way back to Earth after the events of LV-426, and on board are Ripley, Hicks, Newt, and the leftovers of Bishop. The Sulaco crosses over into an area of space controlled by the UPP. Uh, a team of UPP commandos hop on board. And on board, they come across an alien pod. And it hatches, and their leader, Kurtz, is face-hugged. The two other commandos have to leave Kurtz. So what they do is they grab the remains of Bishop. His, they grab his upper body and they take off. And then the Sulaco arrives at the Wayland space station, which is called Anchor Point. And they have the legs of Bishop. So you got, you got half a Bishop on one station, half of Bishop on the other station. Both of those stations 
find alien biological material on Bishop, and they both start experimenting with growing the alien tissue. You know what's interesting? And then that what you can you, imagine how the rest of it plays out. What you just said is the part that it took me multiple times to figure out where they got the DNA from. That's what I could not figure out multiple times. So it came from Bishop. It was just on his body, right? Yeah, because um, I don't know what... I mean, there's there's lots of questions. I don't know what the tissue was, like whether the tissue was from the queen who ripped him in half at the end of Aliens. Um, also, at the beginning of this book, the the pod that the alien comes out of to jump on this Kurt's um, face, the pod's growing in Bishop's, like out of Bishop's stomach in his yeah. cryotube. Yeah. I'm not sure what that is. So maybe some of the DNA from that pod got on both parts of him. Um, I mean, that's a major question I have. Where did that pod come from? Well, and, yeah. and, and the sad thing is, he, here's the one damn thing that I wanted this book to do, which was answer for me what Alien 3 also doesn't answer, which is how the the facehugger or the pod got on, you know, the, the Sulaco. Like, I never it, I never understood that on in, in the movie Alien 3. And now in here... It's even more confusing because it's just growing out of Bishop. So I guess what that informs me is, is that no matter what, the story for Alien 3 always starts out hard for me, like hard for me to grasp and figure out. Like it just it, it's too much of a logic jump for me. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's pretty easy to explain to um, just for either story to do it, because like that that queen has a giant egg sack. But, you know, the, maybe the queen can lay an egg not in that sack right like maybe maybe a queen can lay an egg without it because she ripped it off and you know then came up to the came up to the the ship but so maybe while she was hiding there laid an egg and then continued fighting you know ripley and tearing bishop apart maybe it all happened before that but i don't know because when ripley like then i think back to aliens when ripley like shot grenades into that sack there's yolks coming out like those eggs weren't ready yeah <laughs> so, yeah i don't <laughs> i don't and, and, know yeah and time-wise she did i mean the queen they lay uh, bishop lands you know the dropship on the Salaco. they yeah. get out they talk for a few seconds and then queen yeah. takes bishop and it's it's there's no time i don't think because then she immediately gets into the confrontation with ripley and then blowing out the airlock i mean this is still the problem i literally have with the alien 3 movie that we saw in the theater and you know this yeah. it's like where does this egg come from now maybe i the only thing i will buy is that yeah there are maybe some face huggers that will maybe attach themselves to the queen and then just ride on her as like some sort of why not right like just to have some face huggers around and then one of them got off i guess literally the only thing that that can make my brain not have it break you that, know? but there's that there's doesn't work though both. because there's an egg yeah there's an yeah, egg right. in both instances so Ugh, basically yeah. okay so so what we're what we're what we're led to believe then is that the queen either laid this egg or something yeah. else happened there's no way the queen laid the egg um i think like they don't explain it but i think the only possible uh scenario here is what they get into later in the book is that this alien DNA was somehow able to take something out of him or just use his innards and grow itself a sack. Yeah. It's just, it, that's the only, as, as, a, as absurd as that is, that's the only thing that I can buy is that that egg yeah. grew itself 
the DNA is just able to kind of take over and do that, which they do get into a little bit in this book. So. And 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 in far as this version goes, that makes complete sense to me. Now it brings up the one thing that I absolutely hate about this book is that essentially there's almost no need for a face hugger because the alien can can you can become the alien. And I know that's an idea that even Rid- Ridley Scott played around with in the director's cut of Alien, where. Uh, there's a, a cut scene where Ripley finds Dallas getting sort of metamorphosized into one of the eggs. Um, and so that, because bef- obviously that movie was made for aliens, so they didn't mm-hmm. even know there was going to be a whole queen scenario there. So A, I guess just to tell everyone where I stand, um, I hate that. I hate that uh, that cut scene from alien i don't like that i'm i am a i am a hardcore aliens person i like the fact that they're just insects they're just bugs and yes they are insanely terrifying and so very very powerful and sure can i'm sure can be awesomely weaponized but they were already amazing as they were without having this insane dna aspect going into it that last thing i just want to wrap up with this whole thing with that is I was also impressed with how much this felt in line with Prometheus, um, even though this was clearly written way before that. I was actually like, oh, this is actually really lays the ground. This feels more connected to Prometheus and Covenant than any other movie in the Alien proper franchise. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I can see how that you know, the DNA being able to make the egg and everything, it works in this comic, you know, sort of isolated, but it doesn't work as a whole because of the queen, where I think that Prometheus and Covenant does work because it's part of the evolution. I'm fine with these things happening if they're part of the evolution of a species, but if it's just that the DNA can make an egg no matter where it is, why do you have a queen? Like, there's that doesn't make any sense uh, to what, like, what the species, why there would even be a queen of the species that, you know, if she just touches something, then it can make an egg. Like, it just doesn't really make you, any sense. You to would me, just, so. you would just need the little spore sacks. Like, they, they even do it For in sure. here. Yeah. Like, they have that scenario play out in here, which is, again, just like the, the part in Covenant yeah. when that happens. I was like, wow, that's impressive that they kind of even had those ideas then. But yeah, why do you, you don't even need the queen at that point? It's, it yeah. just feels like they're trying to, you know, just shove this concept in there, which, and the weird thing is, and I, I tell people this, I love, Covenant and Prometheus, but not as alien movies, not as xenomorph movies. I love the kind, the ideas that they're doing here with the DNA stuff. Love that in any other franchise other than this. But when that one uh, Waylon Utani, Bond Waylon Utani lady turned into the 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 alien, that was pretty cool. It was cool. But again, yeah. I'm looking, I'm like, that's neat. But you know, to me, not canon. Yeah. It just it it does it doesn't work to me for me because of that evolution. Yeah. yeah. Which is why like Prometheus and Covenant do work because I can see it as that's early stages. We haven't yeah. got there yet. But when it's all at once, like when everything is we already have the perfect organism and we're still doing these spore things to make something else, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. You you've already you've already achieved it. Like there yeah. like there's nothing more terrifying than a swarm of xenomorphs like like attacking mm-hmm. like it, you you're already screwed anyways i don't need like my dna getting recombined or something that's like that's overkill these things are already perfect killing machines i agree with you guys i think what we need to keep in mind 
is that this script was written like, you know, 30 years before um, the Prometheus and Covenant scripts were, were written. Now, maybe Ridley Scott had the idea in mind already. Corey, I like your point about how he had that scene in the, the original with Dallas morphing into an egg. So maybe that's something Ridley Scott had in his mind. But I don't think Ridley Scott and William Gibson got together and talked about this script before he wrote it. So he's coming up with these ideas in this book that I think are like the stepping stones for a lot of things that were done later in this series. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to call out to a few of them. You've already talked about the spore sack. They basically do that in this book, although they don't tell us exactly what's happening. But characters get the alien DNA in them. Um, in this instance, they were growing some eggs in a jar and the egg, the jars break, the eggs fall out and a couple characters slip in the liquid and that's enough to turn them into uh, aliens. So there's, there's that, which is definitely alien covenant when they breathe in the spores. Uh, they, they start with the idea of just playing with alien tissue, right? Like they both find alien DNA on Bishop and they start to grow it. That's basically alien resurrection where yeah. they are... They're yeah. using the DNA to clone Ripley, who had a queen in her, so that they could extract this queen. So it sets up that movie. Um, they also, in this book, they make the comment about alien DNA appearing as if it was dot designed by something greater to be a weapon, right? That's that's all Prometheus and the yeah. engineers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like th- this book had so many great ideas in it that sure. were utilized throughout this franchise uh, that this book doesn't get the credit for. And I just think these ideas are so big and they're wrapped up into the story. That's I, I really love the quote from, <laughs> from the producers when, when they said it's a perfectly executed script that wasn't all that interesting. Because I think if you read it over and over again, the story makes sense. The, the script makes sense. It's hard to understand the first time, but by the third time, you know exactly what's going on and it's very well thought out, well planned, but it's not all that interesting. Other than these few ideas, I'm kind of bored by it all. Um, one thing I will say in Gibson's defense is that Johnny Christmas was the one who kind of rewrote this into a graphic novel. Oh, okay. So he was given he was given the script and he took... Obviously, he's not going to add anything. He's not going to change anything. But I don't think you can, you can't get a full uh, movie script, maybe like, I don't know, 150 page movie script into like five issues of a comic book. So stuff obviously had to, had to be reduced, had to be tightened up. There's probably a lot of stuff that was lost because of that. Um, But I, yeah, I I really, if I'm going to, I guess, go to bat for anything in this book, it's, it's the ideas that Gibson came up with. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that's where I where I initially said like it just needs some more rewrites because there's ideas there. There's great ideas there, but um, you know, what me and Corey were talking about before is that they just don't quite jive with the story. Like they don't they don't really work with where we are in in the whole, you know, alien movie progression. Like it, it just doesn't make sense for them to come up at this point. Um so that's why I thought like that they make sense in other movies because other movies are doing things before and on the side. And I, I just, I think, I think he needed, yeah, I think he needed like uh, some more rewrites to it, just some more points, some more notes, like just to, you know, fix the story around these cool ideas. Cause I'm with you. I think some of these ideas are very good and the story around it is just, uh, yeah, a little bit boring, a little bit confusing. Doesn't really fit for me. 
so th- think about what this is is trying to give the audience with the DNA recombining and all that kind of stuff. But in the Alien Three movie that we got, the only thing really new that they added was you know the fact that the Xeno takes on the traits of the whatever creature that it was gonna you know come out of, and like. After reading this, like that's such a small idea that yeah. that they went with, which I honestly think they went with the smart choice there because they added a, just a little bit of mythos to the whole thing as opposed to what William Gibson is doing here is basically essentially rewriting the mythos, which is what uh, Ridley Scott will eventually go on to do. And Tim, I think you're right. I think he, I think Ridley Scott took a lot of stuff from this, uh, which is just fascinating to me um, because everything that I hate about this is what Ridley Scott really latched on to, you know, and I think that's, that's funny as hell to me, but it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, but it's, it's like, yeah, it's like what we got was just this little micro addition to the Xenomorph mythos, whereas what this was trying to give us was a massive, massive, almost reboot of of how the alien would essentially play out. Now, I do like how Johnny Christmas, uh, uh, near the end, there seemed to be some battle against the two Xenos. One of them was a little bit more aggressive towards the other, but I also liked how Johnny Christmas, I'm, I'm kind of feeling this was his thing and not William Gibson's thing, was he made the distinction between the alien Zeno and the aliens Zeno, whereas the alien, I always love that. It's got that sort of skull, that see-through. You can sort of see the skull underneath, and then the aliens uh, Zeno has that more, it's all armored, essentially, you know? And, you know, the video games and the comics have tried to make a distinction between, like, one's a drone, one's a warrior, but, you know, what is canon? Who knows, you know? And I liked how... Johnny Christmas was trying to look like he was trying to do something to explain the differences between the two Xenos. The Xeno you're talking about, while it does look like the alien Xeno because of that face in the front, what it reminded me even more of was the blue thing from Alien Resurrection. That blue mm, alien that, yeah. that that like at at the end decides to turn on the queen and yeah. to side with Ripley. Now that Zeno in this book was the one that was birthed out of the blonde female character Wells. Yeah, so she right. was the one who slipped in the goo and the DNAs merged together and the alien was created. The other alien was a traditionally birthed alien, the you know the typical alien as soon as it saw this other one that was grown in a different way immediately went over to that and ripped it in half. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I just I like that that more human looking one was created in a similar way as they created that blue one in alien resurrection. Yeah. It's just, although, I mean, it is a little bit more messed up in resurrection because that blue yeah. one was birthed by the queen. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it was, it's, yeah. it, it's all kind of confusing, but uh, yeah, I like, I thought it was, I thought it was a cool idea to, to do that. Yeah. This is far, far ahead of its time. I, I liked some um, quote that Gibson had about this. He said, "One of I don't know. Did you guys read the forward in the I, uh, in the book? Yeah, I did. Yeah, it was like a two page forward from William Gibson. Um, uh, one of the things he mentioned was that he thinks the the producers underestimated how much of a fan of aliens he is, and they weren't expecting to get what they did. Hmm. He also mentioned that he thinks they only wanted him." to get a real like cyberpunk flair into the into this franchise and mm. then they were only going to keep a few things 
But what he did was he didn't include anything cyberpunk. Yeah. There, there's nothing cyberpunk yeah. about about this this book. It's just him being a pure alien fan and coming up with a completely different concept and new ideas for this franchise, um, which is probably why like they didn't want to they didn't want to go with it. Um, Dean and I mentioned this uh, when we recorded the Alien Three. His contract was to write the script and do one script revision, like one round of revisions. Uh, he did that and they asked him for another round of revisions and he quit because it was out of contract. So he was done. He just, he was like, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. You're changing my story too much. I'm out. So yeah, it did. I think the producers were looking for something far different than they got. Yeah, yeah it, it doesn't have any cyberpunk elements to it. Um, but what I do love that he brings to the table is the UPP. I love seeing what's kind of going on Outside of Whalen Utani, outside of the corporation, like we're getting this this you know picture into a larger space universe. I mean, even in the movie Alien, we never find out like where are they coming from. You know, we mm-hmm. assume they're going back to Earth, but they never. I don't know if they ever say that. Particularly, uh, Dean can probably correct me on that. <laughs> but uh, like like even in Alien, and that's fifty years prior to Aliens, and we are already like a very established you know spacefaring you know civilization so and we know there's colonies and this and that and i love the fact that we get to see that there's other you know people out there that are that think dif- differently and you kind of get a sense of, okay so maybe colonial marines aren't just always fighting i don't know like aliens and insects or something but they're also like fighting the upp and whatnot i that's the shit that i like that he brought to the table in this yeah i i agree with that that's that is one of the progressions I really would have liked for Alien 3 to go because I like that, uh, I've said it on the Aliens podcast, but that Alien is basically like uh, space is a job. You can have a job in space, and that's kind of the whole draw to that. Then Aliens is like there's war in space. Like that's also something that happens in space. And so I like that this script would take us to, there's also, you know, politics in space, and you have to deal with all that too. And I think the the intro to the movie of um, this ship passing through airway, like, and basically the, the UPP controls this area and, and the ship would be passing through there and they have a specific time that they have to get on it, get what they need, and then get off it before it gets out of their, you know, jurisdiction, basically, would have been really cool. It would have been really exciting. It would have almost been like, it starts out kind of heisty and then, you know, horror happens on that ship when the face hugger gets on one of them. I think that would have been an amazing opening to a movie. I would have been so on board with that. Uh, I think that the, the comic doesn't really dig into what the UPP really is. Like, I, I don't really still know how that, uh, like, where did they come from? How do they operate? What kind of land do they own like how how does all that that all work but i i do like that upgrade i do like that we get into oh space is also politics yeah yeah and then you know then they can obviously keep extrapolating it you know more and more and everything but yeah it's 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 cool it's cool ideas and you know multiple reads and everything i'm like yeah this is this is the stuff that i like in this book is yeah. is this political intrigue uh the fact that like you know they can still sort of talk to each other even though they're on two different sides of the war and you know this one you know the guy at anchor waypoint or whatever it's called anchor point is uh you know i mean they have a direct line to the other side basically and all that always find i always find that kind of stuff interesting is when two people on the side of war can t- still talk to each other and stuff and then yeah. just the 
like what you said earlier, Dean, how they, there's almost like this heist at the beginning. And even though it's only like the first like five pages, 10 pages, I would have liked to seen that could have almost been half the movie or, or I mean, maybe even a whole movie. I don't know, but that's all that is the stuff that I'm, I'm interested in. And then it gets to the middle of this story and it just grinds to a halt until, I mean, we don't even get any alien kills until like the last third of it or something. I mean, it's just Mm -hmm. so long. The pacing in this thing is not good. That's, that's my biggest takeaway is that the, the pacing is very, very, it's, it's and I guess and I don't know how to change it because it's necessary, you know. Maybe throwing more cannon fodder to get killed in the middle or something. I don't know. But when it does escalate, it, it is fun. There's some good, you know, kills and everything. But for the most part, yeah, it is terribly boring for a lot of it. I like how smart they make the UPP in this. They're like, um, they're a formidable opponent for Wayland. Mm-hmm. They're they're very intelligent. There's something that the the UPP said that I just thought was so fascinating in our uh, Alien Three episode, Corey. Um, just a, an idea that I had had because it had never been explained to us was that I wondered if um, the host for these um, the eggs that get laid in them. I wondered if the host possibly dictated what kind of alien would be birthed out. So maybe certain hosts, certain DNA would be prone to uh, birthing a queen. And I wondered if that was why Ripley had a queen in her, where we had never really seen a queen been birthed before. I wondered if it had to do with Ripley and like her character, her DNA. What I really liked about this book is where the UPP is telling us um, their opinion on how queens are uh, created. And that was... Um, just the, the egg itself that gets laid in the person can like determine the number of bodies in the vicinity. If there's enough people around so that it can create more aliens, it becomes a queen. If not, it becomes a Xeno, a drone. I just, I thought that was such a cool idea. Yeah, I like that. Because they're saying that basically every DNA of the alien has the uh, potential to create a queen in it. And that's, that's really cool too. I have absolutely no beef with that whatsoever. Um, I think that's a great concept. It's just, it all falls back to why do you, like Dean says, why do you need a queen when you can just use a dropper or a spore and then just boom, turn that person into an alien. Right. I guess, the only thing I could say is if a queen would be able to control all of her drones, you know, whereas like she clearly probably couldn't have controlled mm-hmm. like the Wells alien, you know, when Wells turned into an alien, she pro- a queen that that alien, that xenomorph would have been at odds with the queen. Hence why the other xenomorph, the more proper xenomorph killed it. Right. I guess what you get there is you get the ones who, the, the, the aliens who were born through the DNA combining uh, is seen as an inferior species to the pure, yeah. the purest alien. So uh, Corey, I, I did want to ask you something though, because I know you were very, very much not a fan of the treatment of Hicks and Newt in Alien 3. So what did you think of their characters in this story? Because they basically are with us for, like Hicks is with us for the whole book. Newt's with us for maybe half the time. 
and then maybe just touch on what you thought of the treatment of Ripley. Yeah, so I was actually hoping that you guys were going to bring that up because, yeah, Ripley is on ice this entire story. So I'm assuming that when he wrote this, and I believe it's been confirmed, I don't think they had um, Sigourney Weaver back or I don't think she was coming back for it. So they kind of wrote her out. So we have Hicks. I'm sorry, I'll just interject for a second. What I had heard was that he planned... They planned to do Alien 3 and 4 at the same time. Oh, okay. So Gibson's idea was that number three was going to be this setup with uh, Wayland and UPP without Sigourney. And then the alien outbreak would happen. Then number four was going to be when Ripley comes back and you have Wayland and UPP teaming up against the infestation. Okay. Okay. Mm. All right. That, that makes sense. They were going to do a, a, like film it, like probably back to the future two and three, just sort of film them back to back or something. Um, it was going right. to be the same time. Yeah. So, so Ripley, she's not in it. So that stinks. All right. Um, Newt, I'm happy that she got away. This is the happiest ending that Newt could possibly have. And that even includes the comic books, like the other Dark Horse, you know, comic books. Um, Hicks, one of my favorite cinematic characters of all time, was so freaking boring in this story. He barely did anything. He had, and then when he did have a weapon and he had like five shots to use it, he missed every time. I was like, (laughs) Hicks, what is the point of your existence? You're the only military guy here. So like, I feel like, I feel like no matter what version you go with, Dwayne Hicks gets they treat him dirty in both movie and this comic book. He you know what? It ends for me with with aliens, you know, like it just this yeah. was not the this was not the saving grace that, you know, I wanted it to be. It just it didn't it didn't do the characters justice. But here's the thing. I actually liked the other characters that it gave us. Like, I almost wish that Hicks and Newt like just wasn't even in this one to to that, or just you know sort of got him off quickly and be done with them, you know, because they were literally the most least interesting characters in the entire story, which is so so sad. Yeah, um, I would agree with that. Hicks was still a hottie; he still looked good in this comic, <laughs> which is good. Um, but he, yeah, I, turning this movie into you know that Hicks is the lead, but then he would be this boring. Like, I would have been so disappointed yeah. that Ripley isn't in it at all, and we carried on with Hicks, and you just watered him down. Like, this, for me, this story of Hicks and Newt is a comic book, or it is a cartoon. Like, that's what I want to see Hicks go on and lead the role. Like, I don't want to see this in a movie. In a movie, you got to give me Ripley. Like, that's... I know that there's a plan, Tim. Like, it makes a lot more sense, Tim, when you say that there's, there's a plan to do three, and then she'd come back for four, but... I, I don't care if she's available, put her in the movie. Like yeah. that's, that's what I loved about alien three Ripley kicked ass again. And that's what I want to see when I watch an alien movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Tim, what did you think, buddy? Well, I liked what they did with Newt. I thought they had some really nice moments with her. Every time we see, we see her, they're showing us real heartfelt stuff Yeah, um, with her. And they're, they're just building up to the fact that she's going to go home. Um, and then they send her home just in the middle of the comic, they send her home. And there was this like really, really emotional moment for me because Newt and Ripley are so bonded together, but Ripley's in this coma and Newt just wants to to, like wake her up to let her know 
where she's going to go. Like um, Newt, uh, Newt was heading home to your neck of the woods there, Corey. Yeah. She was going back to Oregon. Yeah, um, true. New Portland. New, I think it was <laughs> New Portland. <laughs> <laughs> she was so worried that she would never see Ripley again. So Hicks and, and Newt, they draw this map. Like they've got this map of the stars and they draw a map of where Newt's going to go. And Newt leaves that with Ripley so that Ripley can find her. And I just thought that was so sweet. And like, that's how I want to see that character go out. Right. I don't, yeah. uh, while I'm not offended by what they like too offended by what they, I guess I'm offended with what they did to Newt in the movie. I'm not offended with the idea they had to kill her. I don't, I don't mind killing her. I don't like the way that they did it. Um, but this is what I wanted to see. Just like a, a nice moment between the two. And then to add Hicks into the mix later on as they're like, as all these aliens are um, crashing in on them and they're trying to escape this space station, they grab Ripley. They send Ripley off into an, a, like a escape pod so she can survive. But one of the things Hicks did was he grabbed that map so that he could hold on to that map. So that map wouldn't get lost so that he could eventually get that to Ripley to show Ripley where Newt was going. I just thought it was such a nice moment in a, in this time of like certain death. It was more important for him to grab that map uh, with his thoughts on Newt than to escape. So for yeah. that reason, I like that. I agree with you guys. Hicks wasn't done right. I think in the situation that he's put in, he just does what he can, which is basically nothing because he has no power. He has no weapons. He keeps trying to tell people, he's like, since my whole squad's dead, I'm in charge. And like, I'm telling you guys what I need from you because I'm in charge. And they're just like, well, like it's Wayland. Like Wayland doesn't care about his rank or anything like that. They're just like, okay, buddy. Like, yeah, um, you know, we'll help you out when we can, but they just leave him there because they don't want anything to do with him. And then, yeah, I mean, come on, Ripley not being in it at all. That's stupid. It's, yeah. that's, I just think that's flat out stupid. And then like on top of it, like there, there's no no pulse rifles in it. There's like one dropship, which is weird because it's the UPP has the dropship. Yeah. <laughs> yet, yet there are no there's no dropship technology in the Whalen. I was like, it should have been sort of the other way around. And no offense to Johnny Christmas, I didn't like any of the other ships that he designed in lieu of like what you know, like what was it Sid Mead, I guess, who designed the Slacko um, and whatnot. So like, like it's just like oh, so like. The iconography wasn't even there. Like I couldn't even connect to it. Like you, you know. I mean, you got Hicks as a colonial marine. Like, why are there no, not a single pulse rifle on there? Like nowhere. You can't just can't get a pulse rifle into his hand at all just to give us that visual. <laughs> like, come yeah. on. Like, you know. Yeah. The, and the dropship looked great, but man, just give me more dropships. I just, <laughs> I just, I was like, it just weirdly for a lot of the book because. There was no alien in it. There was no xenomorph in it. For a lot of the book, it almost didn't even feel like it took place in the alien universe because it had no colonial marine anything that you could sort of see. I was like, I don't know if that's in the script or if that's just Johnny Christmas or, or what, but I was just like, that was another big ding for me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I I, I like that point, Tim, about the maps because that would really play hard in a movie for me. Like I would, I would be so emotionally moved when Hicks goes and grabs that map. Um, especially if it's like still Michael Bean and he's the one he like, he's playing that part and he goes back, even if he was, you know, 
so boring in the entire movie if he goes back and gets that map i that would have played hard for me so that that's something it's a way different movie than what we got but i can see i can kind of see more of the upside to the comic in in that sense with those two characters where at first i was like i don't want to see this like give me ripley give me more ripley um that emotional moment would have played played for me I think this I think this graphic novel does better as a movie than a graphic novel. Yeah. I think it would have it would have been it would have been better. Just to see all this happening in live action would have worked better than the comic. I, I don't like it better than the Alien 3 movie we right. got, but right. I'd prefer to to learn about this story in movie form. I just think it would have made more sense. I feel like they could have just you would have been it would have been easier to follow along, I think, if this was a movie than in in the form we got. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and to go back to your earlier point with, with, you know, Newt and everything, I did like when she said affirmative to, to Hicks. I was like, oh, you know, so and, good. Yeah. and of course you could hear it in her voice. I affirmative. I was like, okay, of that course. was, that was cute. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And she had that shirt on. She had that shirt. It's yeah. like, yeah. Something like where the hell is anchor point or something like that. <laughs> I love that. It's a, Cause the first time you see it, it's like, it's a little wrinkled. So I'm like, does it really say that? And then he, yeah, drew it out. And I was like, that's clever. You actually created, you know, like a shirt mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah. And it's something that's clearly like an inside joke to that universe. And I'm like, that's, that's good. I like that. That's a really cool thing right there. Yeah. That's gotta be a yeah. Johnny Christmas thing, right? Like just having that shirt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I imagine so. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I don't know. I mean, everything I'm sticking up for, it's um, it sounds like it's just all certain ideas that got lumped yeah. into this story uh, that I'm plucking out. I'm like, that was awesome. That was awesome. That was awesome. But as a whole, it was difficult to figure out. It was difficult to understand what I was reading. I had to like, I had to work to pull those things out, which isn't what you want. That's not what you want in a graphic novel. Graphic novel, you want it to be like laid out in a way that you can understand easily, you can decipher it. I don't care if I'm confused along the way, if by the end you wrap everything up, which is always nice. This didn't do that though. It just kind of like yeah. it ended. It was just like, it's almost like they ran out of money. They're just like, okay, and now we're out of money. So just end it right here. You have one page to finish the story up. And and and, and, she, and William Gibson goes like full deus ex machina by like having a, the, the UPP girl just fly in with her dropship and like gun down that other <laughs> alien. That is yeah. So- I thought that was Sigourney Weaver when I... Me too. Two times when I read it. Two times I thought that was Sigourney Weaver both times. And it's not. It's just... It's this... Um, An irradiated uh, IUPP girl. I mean, she's going to die from radiation poisoning. I mean, yeah. I think I think it's a, it's a cool moment um, because what you have is you have this uh, the UPP member coming over to help out the Wayland member. So I think they're like... These two, oh, yeah. these two factions were warring the whole time, but what you have at the very end is one of them coming to save the other one. So it's a, it's a nice thought. It's a nice gesture, but I didn't understand what was happening. Yeah. I didn't know who that was. Right. I didn't know why they were doing it. Um, so I think, I think really what this is, is this is really trying to set up a fourth. I almost wish he wrote that fourth so that this graphic novel wouldn't seem so incomplete. Yeah, because if we could read, go ahead, Corey. In the fourth one, they're they're going back to the alien homeworld. That's like, it were like it sounds like you know at the end of this, that's what they're sort of setting up. And man, that's that's really cool to go to the alien homeworld. Now they did that in the first 
of the Dark Horse Aliens comics that came out way back in the day, way before Alien 3 was even in pre-production. You know, Dark Horse had the Aliens license, and the very first thing that they did was make a sequel to Aliens. It had Newt, and it had Rip. um, uh, Ripley was not in it, but it had Newt, and it had Hicks in it, and Newt was much older. She went by Rebecca in it. And eventually, they lead a team that goes to the alien homeworld, you know, and that's, and so I'm like, that's kind of cool, because it seems to me, like, that was always our destination, no matter what, right? Like, we were supposed Hmm. to go there, and of the new, uh, where the franchise went, um, that's, that's the one thing that I'm sad that we never did get to see, is where the xenomorphs came from. Yeah. And I don't consider Prometheus or Covenant, so that's just me. <laughs> I, I love those movies. I, I know you're not a fan. Tim, I, I I'll wait take, till I'll we get to up. those movies. <laughs> <laughs> I just eat up anything alien. It doesn't I, doesn't matter to me. It's kind of it's kind of like the Star Wars universe for me. Just give me more um, bad or good. I just like seeing it. So yeah. I, I just I I really loved where they went with the origin story. Um, I hear rumblings of a third from Ridley Scott, so I'm really excited about that. And yeah, just give me more, man. I mean, we're but gonna, like, we're going to get there. For me, like one of the things that just had me in such awe when I was a kid is, you know, an alien, it's, 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 you know, they're space truckers, right? Like they're just space truckers. And all they did was come across another space trucker and then found out that his cargo was, was aliens, right? Like, I love the fact that just. I don't know. There was just such a cool idea there that that these things were just maybe sitting there for eons in hibernation. You know, they're just they're just there. It doesn't matter where they come from. It's just they're they're there and they're vicious and they're horrible and they're just these yeah. horrible swarm aliens. And I like how even in the Aliens versus Predator uh, video games, they they fleshed out the fact that like um, the Predators were the the like elder uh aliens of the universe and they're they're basically there to protect the rest of the universe from the the swarm of death which is the Mm. xenomorphs and they don't really have any sort of maliciousness towards us they're actually in in the video games they were actually because you get to play as a predator so you sort of get into insight into what they're thinking and they actually think that like we have potential um they want they want us to get there we're not there yet obviously like they don't mind like they don't mind killing a couple of humans to save the rest of us. Like they're basically, they're trying to save everybody from the aliens, from the, the mm. creeping death basically is what the aliens are. And I just love that. I love that they're, they're almost like demons. They're, they're, they're something out of our mythological nightmares. They don't need to be engineered by a, by a, an Android. They're just, they're from the dark depths of, of space and space is scary and cold and terrifying for humans, you know, and that's all that they are. And that's what I love, you know? And, and I know that like, yeah, I mean, all of all of that can still fit into it, you know, but I don't know. There's just something there. But the fact that they're just insects, you know, they're just yeah. animals, man. You know, like Hudson says, they're just animals. But that's what makes them scary to me. Yeah. They're so intelligent, though. They're not like, yeah, they are animals. But then these movies make them so intelligent that they're more than that. Are, right? But wait, more are than... they? They flung themselves in in mass at the sentry guns in aliens. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like how, like, are they really that intelligent or are they just going in a forward direction until they hit a wall and then they go to a different direction till they hit a wall there and they keep going. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a swarm mentality. And as someone who used to play like Warhammer 40,000, you know, against like Tyranids and stuff, like the, the images of just these, like just 
worlds of aliens just swarming at you. And just I can just picture like colonial marines just trying to hold their ground and firing. It's just like that right there is infinitely more terrifying than having my DNA mm. rewritten, right? Yeah, yeah. I think the play when you have like hundreds of them is just to send them out as the swarm towards the guns. But when that's not the case anymore, they become more intelligent. Um, you know, like in Aliens there, when, when Ripley is with Newt and she stumbles upon the queen, the a couple Xenos block mm-hmm. their exit. Yeah. And uh, Ripley melts a pod, uh, flamethrowers a pod, and then the queen just waves for the Xenos to unblock the path. Yeah. So that shows intelligence yeah. on both the queen and the Xenos. They know what's going on. They understand what's happening there. So... I, I do think they're intelligent. I think I think maybe the play for them against the guns was just like let's just send everything we have because we can overwhelm them. Okay, and that maybe didn't necessarily work out, uh, so they pulled back. B- but- because you can be intelligent and still not care about your own life, I guess, right? Because you're still right. doing it for the good of the overall hive. It's right. that hive yeah. mentality. So okay, I'll I'll, I'll completely take all of that i i agree with what you're saying there i think that they they are intelligent to an extent maybe not like you know computer intelligence but like they're smart enough right but at the same time they will still sacrifice themselves as needed for yes. the greater good of the hive which which again is more terrifying to me than having my dna rewritten from the inside yeah yeah i'm, I'm with you man like i i'm yeah. i'm 100 on board with your with your uh thoughts and comments about this like it's never going to be scarier for me than thinking that these creatures like don't care, don't have an agenda other than just to get rid of you because you're not one of them. Right. And when you try to, when you try to change it, like what they, it, Prometheus and Covenant are not terrifying to me at all. And it doesn't have to do with the fact that I'm older and I'm not seeing them as a child. There's just something so terrifying about these aliens when we don't know a lot about them. So learning their backstory, it doesn't create more terror for me. I really like those stories because I like learning about their history and where they might've come from and stuff like that. That's just, that's all very interesting for me. So I I totally get like where a purist, um, an alien purist would be coming from where, where alien and aliens that's just that's the best it's going to get for you because that's where they were at their purest form where we don't know these other things about them we see what they do we see how devastating they are how impossible they are to stop how like what monsters they are and then we don't need to know anything else right like our imaginations can come up with whatever holes we need to fill in and that's part of the fun too, is just deciding on your own, like, wow, where, what is that ship that they came from? Where could that have, like, I mean, we all must have, even you, Dean, cause you, you, um, even though you didn't see them when you were a kid, you still watched them in order. You mm-hmm. must've been thinking like, what is that ship an alien in the first alien? What is that ship? And like, where did that come from? How do they, sure. how can they fly a ship? That's always what I thought. How do they fly a ship? You know, well, um, maybe they're intelligent enough to fly that ship, you know, what we learn a little bit later is maybe they were sent on that ship as a weapon, but uh, n- none of that's even, you know, <laughs> really fleshed out. And yeah, yeah so, I, I mean, I, I'm with you, Corey. I totally get what you're saying. And, um, and I do agree on in that, in that aspect of, of like just them as the, the, the pure terror that they are. And that's the best, the best version of them that we get and what we would probably ever get. Yeah. I, I think what's, 
really great about the franchise is there's so many different styles of movies with so much added lore like you can sort of be a fan of the series and kind of latch on to anything you want because it's it's not really the movies aren't really you know the continuity is not solid throughout all the movies you know there's always different things being thrown in and I think you can kind of grab what it is that you like the most and then that's why you can love love the whole franchise love the whole series so I I always come back to an alien when Ash says perfect organism Mm. and if it's a perfect organism how did it get to be a perfect organism? So that's why I like watching Prometheus and Covenant where it's like, here, here's how it became a perfect organism. So that's why I eat that stuff up because I like, I love when I love when I, I don't know something and then we flash back and we learn it. Like that's some, one of my favorite things mm-hmm. in, in any sort of media. Um, and so I, I like that those movies are like, okay, we, we need to get to a perfect organism. So were they just born perfect or were they made perfect? And it allows Ridley Scott to kind of, uh, dive into his a whole like creator and creation thing, which is I also love to eat that stuff up. So those movies, yeah, those movies really work for me. But if what you latched onto is is something else, I can totally see how they don't work. And the the horrible irony is is that I love Prometheus and Covenant just not as xenomorph movies like because it plays with concepts that i love i love everything he's talking about in there but because i think and it's really it's me it's because the my mental barrier is you know alien aliens and then i spend so much time reading the dark horse comics it's hard for me to like re you know shift my brain to to take all that in when i've i've enjoyed so many stories where these creatures were just you know insects you know intelligent insects almost human-sized ants how terrifying would that be you know it's like and yet they like and yet i still ate up every new comic book that came out like it never got old to me but the just it's you know as much as i crap on aliens and or prometheus and covenant I think they are spectacularly well-made movies. The concepts that they're dealing with are freaking awesome. Has some great deaths in all of it. I just wish it didn't look like a Xeno. I just wish it wasn't a prequel to to my my that universe. You know that that's it. Yeah. That's literally all I want. And but I can still watch them and kind of mentally disassociate them with it. So all I do is just not count them as canon. Um, which is like it. That's how I can sort of watch every bit of Star Wars and be like, okay, I sort of enjoy every bit of it because to me it's like oh rise of skywalker if i don't love it it's no it's to me it all is equal to the same as comic books so i'm like well that's just one comic book that i would just read once a year and yet you know this other one empire strikes back is another comic i would read once a month like there's just it's all the same and so like with covenant and, and and uh prometheus it's like okay i get it they're still part of the universe but like i'll watch them disassociate myself a little bit from them but you know i can still enjoy what they have and they're beautiful beautiful movies well shot my god my god and idris elba i still to this day to this day i still say hands up when i when i'm about to like crash something i don't know why but i love when he <laughs> yells hands up and they all put their hands amazing up. Was, that was awesome but like i guess one thing at my core my favorite thing my favorite thing about 
all of the alien franchises isn't even the xenomorphs. It is the colonial marines. And honestly, even with this, with the movies, man, we never got any more colonial marine stuff other than in the comics. That was the only place that we got colonial marine imagery, dropships, pulse rifle. You know what I mean? Like, you got some pulse rifles in Alien 3 with the Whalen Utani guys at the end. But, you know, it's just like, man, that iconic colonial marine costume. Like, it's crazy to think. It's only in Aliens. Of all the movies and all the franchises of, yeah. of this franchise, it's only in Aliens. And to me, that is my favorite part. I love that armor. I love those guns. I love that dropship. I love that APC. Like, I mean, hours. I could spend hours just staring at it, every piece of it, all the armor, the same way that I would stare at, like, Boba Fett, pictures of Boba Fett when I was a kid, just enthralled, just, like, absorbing it, just so I can know what it looks like, you know? And to this day, nothing, like, I don't, like, no other sci-fi movie has come close. I love the, um, I love the Starship Trooper outfits, but nothing comes close to the Colonial Marines and the dropship and the APC and the Salako. I mean, my God, I just, I don't know what else to say. So that's, that's, again, that's like kind of another barrier that I sometimes have with getting yeah. into these things, you know? And again, these are all just Corey things. These are all Coreyisms, right? They're not, not to take away from, from anyone's love of Prometheus or Covenant. Well, it's it's tough, Corey. When like this is when Aliens is your favorite movie, it's definitely going to be tough to try to connect with these other movies that aren't that movie. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I mean, it makes a ton of sense. It's just anybody who had a favorite movie, the other if there's other ones in the franchise, like I mean, for me, I'm I'm Jaws. Like, yeah, I'm, Jaws is my favorite. Right. Um, <laughs> it's it's hard to watch some of those other ones, even though I love them. Yeah, but you know they're they're what they're doing is clearly not how pure the first one is this whole talk about how you can pick the good things out of a franchise. I think that's exactly what we got with this book mm -hmm. is that this isn't the greatest thing I've ever read, not even close, but as more content for this franchise, it's a great read because there's a lot of cool stuff in here that I'm really happy. I read and I would recommend to other alien fans. Um, it's just just not all that excellent, but you get spoiled with so like the thing with Alien and Aliens is we got spoiled so hard so early. Where are you going to go from there? Like usually in a franchise, the first movie is the best and then it dramatically goes downhill after that with them trying to like reclaim the glory with Aliens. They just they stay right on par with that first movie and how good it was. But eventually that has to drop off, right? There's a place, I think there's a place for any content in any franchise. I'm just, I'm like, I'm that guy. Yeah. I'm just that, I guess I'm just that optimistic about it, but I'll, I want anything new. I don't even care if it's terrible. I mean, there's probably going to be something, at least one thing that I'll find interesting in it yeah. and I'll be, I'll be happy just to absorb that. So, um, I, I think that's one of the good things about this book and uh, a reason I would recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think this book just shows that, um, and there's a lot of different types of alien movies that can be made. And it just depends on what the group making the decisions wants. Because this comic, I didn't really think about it until you kind of mentioned the end uh, a little while ago, that uh, someone from UPP comes over, saves the day, and is like, can't we just all work together? Like, we're trying to basically, like, they're, they're both starting off the comic 
in sort of a cold war, you know, they're kind of both going to uh, make weapons. They're trying to use this alien uh, DNA to make to make weapons against each other to be the first one to get to that, you know, that weapon. And then in the end, it's like, why aren't we getting along and both attacking this thing together? And that's the ending of this movie that we would have got. And the ending of the movie that we got was, you know, the the main character killing herself because she's got, you know, it's it, it, an alien inside of her. It's a very it's a very sad ending, a very dark ending where this would have been sort of some an uplifting, you know, it would have been like, let's get together, like fight together. And then the next movie was probably us all getting together and, you know, fighting against the aliens. So there's just it, it's just a completely different movie than what we got. I do think the movie we got was better than this script, but it could just be because it's not tight enough. You know, maybe they needed a couple extra revisions and that could have been the movie they put out and it would have had a, a much more uplifting ending. Um, I, I do like the I like the ending we get. I like the Fincher movie feel that we get with this. I know Fincher doesn't, you know, he disowns Alien 3, but I like the feel that comes out of it. And I think it is very Fincher. Um, so I like the turn it took, but... I can see how this would work. I can see how if we got a couple revisions, this type of movie could have worked. Yeah. Oh, totally. Sure. Totally agree with that. I And I agree with your assessment of the two very different endings. One very uplifting while the other one is very bleak and dark. Um, I actually would have liked to have seen a, a more uplifting ending as much as I do enjoy Alien 3. Um, but yeah, as like an archaeological dig, this, this comic is essential reading for anyone who has any interest in the Alien franchise. Um, it's like having this kind of look into like insight into pretty kind of the creative process like it's we're having mm -hmm. insight into ridley scott's creative process process for prometheus and covenant you know there's there's things that they took from they just it seems like they just like ripped this thing apart and just took little pieces away from it you know so it's awesome to see it in its full dna you know or at least as full or as close to as we can ever possibly see it until someone a hundred years from now you know <laughs> disney will remake it you know actually you know so <laughs> it, it will happen one day i'm sure but um until then it's this is interesting and this is absolutely essential to read everyone should read this and probably multiple times to get everything out of it yeah. that you need to get <laughs> out of it definitely multiple times <laughs> it's, it's, it's necessary it's, the more the merrier yeah, yeah it's absolutely necessary but yeah it doesn't it's, it's just so weird though it's so weird yeah. it doesn't fix that one problem at the very beginning which is the same problem that alien 3 the movie has which is how did the xenomorph get on there but it just kind of tells me that at the end of the day, it should have all just ended with aliens, right? Like that, the way that that movie ends, the way the it could have just been a one-two punch franchise, but we know why it's not. <laughs> it made too much money. That's that's yeah. why. And yeah, I enjoy Alien Three, the the um, the assembly cut, which I know you guys. That's the one you reviewed, but I just watched the assembly cut for the first time. Um, I think like about three months ago or something, and I was very surprised at how much more I enjoyed it. I 
kind of never really watched it because I was like, eh, what, what's really going to be all that different, you know? And, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm already kind of lukewarm on Alien 3. I don't really need to. I was like, no, no. And I actually enjoyed the assembly cut a lot more. And it actually made me enjoy my, just like Alien 3 in general. It took it up a notch for me. So that's another thing. Guys and gals, check out the, the assembly cut. If you have the quadrilogy or, or whatever, you know, the Blu-ray set, it's definitely worth it. But Weirdly, I don't think that there is a perfect version of Alien 3 out there. There is no one perfect version of it. Because it's Aliens. Aliens is the perfect version. <laughs> There's nowhere to go from there. Yeah, really. It's yeah. Alien yeah. and Aliens. That's a good I point. Mean, like a two back-to-back, one-two punch. Like, just erase everything from your memory and just watch Alien and Aliens back-to-back and you say in your head that that's where that ends. Holy cow. Like, what an amazing yeah. five hours of, of cinematic entertainment. Yeah, this this egg on the ship and how did it get there just brings me back to, you know, Dan O'Bannon and Shusit just trying to figure out exactly how to get an alien onto the ship in the movie Alien in a smart way. And they put so much thought into that. And they knew that they needed to crack that in order for audiences to really engage with that movie. And this one just doesn't feel like they paid attention to that. They just like, just put an egg on it. Everyone will get it. Everyone will know. But there wasn't the attention to detail of us as an audience member, like being like, well, no, I need a, I need a way that that got there. I need to know how, because I've watched these two movies and I know how it works. How would an egg possibly get on there? Um, yeah, so I, I just think with both them, with with the movie and with this um, comic, not explained at all. Yeah, no. Tw- I mean, twenty years later, and we're s- twenty years later, and we're still freaking like trying to yeah. figure it out. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah, we're trying to figure it out because there's no explanation. Yeah. Because they didn't take the time to figure yeah. it out. They didn't care. They just yeah. said, "Let's just here's the audience will accept that they see an alien. They know what an alien is. They'll accept it, and we'll just move on from there." But, yeah. Um, I want to wrap this up, but I, I do want to say one thing. That William Gibson said the only thing from his script that made its way into the actual movie was the barcodes <laughs> on the back of the prisoners' heads. <laughs> that was it. That was wow. his, and that was, that's funny because that is very cyberpunk. Yeah, totally. And that's the yeah. one thing that the producers decided wanted. to keep because they just wanted some sort of cyberpunk yeah. influence. So they got a barcode. Yeah. So, hey, uh, barcode, those barcodes are cool. It was hey, cool. I liked it. I like it. <laughs> I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. That was a lot of fun. Corey, man, thank you so much for joining. Oh. Um, just awesome to talk to you. Oh, th- I mean, guys, thank you so much for having me on. It's a, it's a huge honor. I love the show. You know that. You guys are my friends. I tell you all the time. But this show rocks, and I, I love what you're doing with Talking Back. So just to be on here and, and talk to you guys about Aliens, you know, my favorite movie and uh, one of my favorite franchises of all time with uh, two of my favorite people. It's, uh, it's awesome, guys. I'm, it's living the dream, basically. So thank you. Thank you both. Just please go ahead and plug anything that you would like to plug right now. Oh, just check out Podcasting After Dark and Cartwright. Pretty much everything over at the BFOP Network, which is what you guys are on and what we're on. So we got great shows. We have a lot of fun. We're all friends. And that's that's what's freaking awesome. So and you know what? Every show on the network I'd listen to. That's that's a big deal too. So as a as a in you know, like as a content or a podcast consumer. That's important. And as a podcast producer, I am honored to be on the same network as you guys. Same. We feel the same, dude. Oh, yeah. All right. 
Um, Corey, I'm just going to thank you one more time, buddy. Um, always appreciate it. This yeah, is, this thanks, is why, this is why we created double feature yeah. was to have more guests on. So we will be, uh, hearing a lot more from you in the future. There's a yep. lot of things that we want to get you on for. So, um, Everybody listening, get used to Corey's voice because he's, he's not going anywhere. Uh, Dean, as usual, thanks for joining. Yeah, man. That was awesome. So much fun. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll catch you next time. everybody i'm Corey, and i'm zach and we're the hosts of podcasting after dark a cast dedicated to late night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s often found on hbo and cinemax you know the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid you can find us every other week on apple podcasts spotify podbean and stitcher this is what you want this is what you get I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la. If you're looking for additional content from Talking Back, sign up for our monthly newsletter. We'll be doing monthly wrap-ups, sneak peeks, we'll show you some behind-the-scenes stuff, we'll be sharing recommendations, and who knows what else is going to go on. Find a link to the sign-up form in the bio of any of our social media accounts, or feel free to reach out to Tim or Dean and we'll set you up.